Miami. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins' official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins are coaching at the Senior Bowl. We'll explain the value behind that. Plus, we're going to talk about development of players on the roster, some picks for guys who could make similar jumps in 2021. We're going to revisit playoff weekend and cover the latest news here on the Drive Time Podcast. All of that and more still to come on this Tuesday, January the 12th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins go ahead and do some housekeeping here first before we get into the teeth of the episode and start with the biggest news of the day that came down on Monday. The Dolphins will coach one of the two sides at the Senior Bowl in Mobile the weekend before the Super Bowl. We're going to come right back to that here in just one second, but last we spoke on this podcast, you did not have the news, but the Dolphins and offensive coordinator Chan Gailey, he resigned from that position, and Dolphins and defensive line coach Marion Hobby mutually parted ways. So we'll have you guys covered here when those positions are filled and when the coaching staff is rounded out once more here on drive time as well as MiamiDolphins.com. We also haven't spoken to you since Zach Thomas was named one of the five finalists for the Hall of Fame. Really, really, really hope this time is the time. It's a loaded class this year, but Zach was just such a monster in his playing career. All the tackles, more than 1,700 tackles in his career. The picks, the returns for touchdown, had four of them. That was tied for a franchise record. The goal line stands. The comments from opposition like Peyton Manning and Kevin Mawai, hopefully... Hopefully this is the year, and typically the Hall of Famers are announced Super Bowl weekend. So again, we'll have you guys covered on Zach Thomas's Hall of Fame candidacy. Now let's go ahead and get back into this idea of coaching the Senior Bowl, and I just absolutely love this. A first-hand look at what essentially serves as the biggest pool of draft-eligible players, at least in recent years, with a chance to work with these guys one-on-one and hand-in-hand. And this from the Senior Bowl release from Jim Nagy and company, down there in Mobile. This is straight from the release. They say, coaching the Reese's Senior Bowl gives each staff a behind-the-scenes look at the players, not only on the field, but also in the meeting rooms. This unique access has always been an invaluable part of the evaluation process for participating clubs. However, this year, or this year, there is even greater significance since NFL scouts were not allowed on college campuses this fall. The Reese's Senior Bowl is coming off the best two-year draft record in the game's long history. In each of the past two drafts, the Senior Bowl has produced 93 total draft picks, including 40 in the first three rounds. The 186 total players represent 37% of the past two draft classes. The 2019 and 2020 rosters have included the following rookie and second-year standouts like Jeremy Chin, the safety of the Panthers, quarterback Justin Herbert, Chase Claypool from the Steelers, Brandon Ayuk from the 49ers, Jalen Hurts from the Eagles this year. He was in the game last season along with Herbert, Kyle Duggar from the Patriots, Javon Kinlaw from the 49ers, Antonio Gibson, the standout running back in Washington, Terry McLaurin there as well, Chris Lindstrom, the offensive lineman from the Falcons, who was the 14th pick in the draft a couple years back, Debo Samuel. Elton Jenkins, Montez Sweat, the list goes on and on and on there with good looking players, good draft prospects you can bring in and we'll get another close firsthand look at that this year with the Dolphins coaching the game. Here's a statement from Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. 
We are extremely grateful here to have two of the brightest young minds and respected leaders in the league coaching our Reese's Senior Bowl rosters this season. Matt Rule and Brian Flores are both excited to get to get to Mobile, and our players are incredibly fortunate to have a week-long experience learning under these two great teachers and their respective staffs. End quote. And here's the Dolphins statement on the on the uh, announcement of the Dolphins coaching the Senior Bowl. The entire Miami Dolphins organization is excited to take part in this year's Senior Bowl in this unique run-up to the draft. The Senior Bowl will be a great opportunity for our coaches and personnel department to interact with these players for a full week. We look forward to working with these prospects as part of the premier event with a tradition of featuring top-tier talent, end quote. So, man, just reading the comments from that release is enough to get me pumped up because I I just love the Senior Bowl. One of my favorite things, I think I spoke to you guys about this on the podcast a while back, how much I love training camp because of how much information you get from just watching that couple of hours of football. Well, you get two of those practices here back-to-back every day for three days down in Mobile before the game on Saturday, and you get a good look at the one-on-one matchups where you just can't beat that stuff, in my opinion. The pass rush drills, the one-on-one pit drills in the offensive line going against the defensive line, the receivers on the defensive backs and how those guys match up and how they work the releases and their presses and their coverage and their hips and every, the way everything moves, the way they get off the top of the stem, the top of the route, the safeties coming down covering running backs or linebackers covering running backs. I recall seeing Darius Leonard in these practices a couple of years ago, now for the Colts, an all pro for the Colts a couple of years back, and how he just stood out so much in this game for these, or these practices rather, in those one-on-one drills. So Dolphins will be coaching this game and have a good chance to get an up-close look at so many of the top prospects in this year's draft. And as we enter the roster building portion of the calendar, we're going to cover all the stuff for you guys throughout the course of the offseason here on Drive Time. And this sort of second season, and as someone who has always done the whole, you know, wannabe GM thing where you, you pick out your draft picks, you make your free agent signings in your head and what you would do if you were in charge as an amateur. And even when I was, you know, as a football fan doing that and now into covering the game and the speculation machine of the offseason, I just think from a content standpoint, I've always found this time of year more fun to do that type of thing because it's a little more interactive for us fans and us that cover the game here as there's, you know, obviously way more avenues to explore different variables. Sometimes the season can become a little bit monotonous in the way the routine works out because, you know, you've got, you know, Sunday game and you run it back all over again 17 times or 16 times in 17 weeks. Not that that's not enjoyable because it definitely is, but the off season has some more curveballs as it were and kind of gives you more of a chance to, to spread your wings a little bit, I suppose. And one of my favorite multimedia hosts from around the entire league is Fran Duffy. He works for the Eagles, does a podcast for them, does video content for them, a lot of stuff with a draft as well. And he had this really cool clip over the weekend where he talked about the true value of a player starting to materialize in year number three as a pro. And there's some give and take to that, obviously. Not every player is going to develop at the same rate, but he said that while you certainly will see early glimpses and maybe some early negative signs that point to towards a, a possible doom and gloom scenario, the player you can kind of expect to see going forward is typically what the player becomes in year three, according to Fran Duffy. And like, for instance, look at Mike Kosicki this past season. My goodness, that guy exploded in a big time way. And so that really got me thinking, and I put this in a written piece up on MiamiDolphins.com, taking a look at some of the making the leap type of candidates for this Dolphins team, because I think they are a plenty all over the roster, and it's tough to narrow this down to a couple. But it also got me thinking about some questions I had for players at the end of this season. To go back to Duffy, he used a clip with Eagles defensive end Josh Sweat, and I asked some players about what they felt they accomplished or what they grew in most in this season here with the Dolphins. And in the clip with Josh Sweat, 
Duffy shows a pass rush move from Sweat's rookie season. Sweat throws a long arm technique, which is basically just as it sounds. The inside arm acts as a bridge between the rusher and the blocker, keeps the outside hand free to help him kind of counter off that initial stab move to work either upfield or underneath the pass set of the offensive lineman. And on the pass rush from the rookie season, Sweat goes long arm and tries to power through an anchored tackle and he gets walked back. It's a good pass rush, but ultimately he doesn't have the counter move. And so the quarterback is able to step around that rush as he's unable to disengage off that block. Duffy then shows a clip from this season, sweats third in the NFL where he does the same long arm, but it's a trap. It draws out the punch of the left tackle early. Sweat then turns it into a dip move where he swipes the hands, dips under the outside shoulder of the tackle for a run on the quarterback. And he finishes it off with a sack. So I was looking at Miami's roster and where we've seen some of this growth and it's evident all over the entire roster. And isn't it, it's just so critical. I mean, sure, the draft and the free agency are the glitz and glamour of the offseason for the roster building aspect of the offseason. But typically speaking, you're going to get the biggest jump from development of your own roster and of your own program. It's a focal point for Brian Flores and the staff. He's talked about it all season long from rookies, veteran players, doesn't really matter. And he covered that when he was asked about how they would utilize this expanded practice squad this season. Would they maybe use it to find players for more developmental prospects for long-term. And he basically said, look, I can, we can develop players at any stage of their career. Rookie or veteran doesn't matter. You can always develop as a player, as a professional, in any walk of life. That's kind of Brian Flores' sticking point there. And Chris Greer praised Flo and his staff at the end of season presser for their ability to get development out of the NFL's second youngest roster this season, entering the season with no live off-season program, no preseason, the expedited training camp that kind of came and went in a flash. And since he was sort of the inspiration behind this idea, I want to start with Andrew Van Ginkles. We typically go over the entire roster. We go in positional order, right? Quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, defensive back. That's how I've always done it. I think it's how they have it sorted on the Madden death charts that I played as a kid for so many years. But we're going to kind of do this thing scattershot because I want to start with Andrew Van Ginkle. I talked about it all off, all season. He talked about it all season, all camp really as well. His coaches talked about it as well, like Austin Clark, for instance, about him getting stronger. He talked about this after the Raiders game. When I asked him, you know, point blank from the broadcast copy, they said Van Ginkle is known more as a speed rusher. Well, he played right through Las Vegas left tackle Colton Miller with a bull rush that collapsed the tackle onto the quarterback for a big, big sack in that game. And Gink talked about this, about how the counter move certainly serves its primary purpose as another avenue to get after the quarterback. But if you can simply show that you have that ability in your back pocket, man, it can go a long way to open back up the bread and butter, as it were, some of the speed moves. And then from there, Gink can kind of counter off those speed moves as you developed other moves into the arsenal, whether it is the swipe or the dip or the club or the arm over or, you know, working off games and stunts and twists and that sort of thing. So just at that linebacker position alone, I thought Van Ginkle made significant strides and even a year ahead of that, and I'm using air quotes, the obligatory three-year mark, which again is fluid based on every single player, right? It can change based on the player. But we saw a guy that as a rookie started showing strides in his ability to cut down that backside C gap in the run game, to beat blocks, whether it was pulling power with a guard coming over on lead or split zone with a tight end coming across the formation for him to get under the block, to get through the block, to get over the top of the block. He's adding that with the ability to win as a pass rusher. And I mean, to go back to that Raiders game again, he was there was no Shaq Lawson in that game. So he steps up big time when his number is called for elevated snap counts. I cannot wait to see where he develops into his third year as we saw a significant jump in year number two for fifth round pick in 2019 linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle. Now, 
at that same position at linebacker, we did see a third year linebacker this year and he came into his own in his own right. I mean, Jerome Baker has shown pr- plenty, plenty of bite pretty much since the word go, but man, did he come on as a pass rusher, a curl flat defender, a guy that I really liked the way he attacked blocks this season more than his first two years. Jerome's the kind of guy that will pass off the production to his teammates and say it was their credit. And they certainly had their hand in the end result of it all, but that goes both ways too. Multiple times this year, aside from his seven sacks that he did get, twice in the Rams game, for instance, Jerome puts pressure on the opposing backfield to create quick throws before the quarterback ideally wants to get the ball out. And it leads to two picks in that game. It led to interceptions and turnovers and third down stops all throughout the season. It happened all year long for Jerome Baker. He's, he'd wipe out the running back and create a lane for someone who won a one-on-one situation, like an Emmanuel Ogba who did so so often, for instance, where Baker goes out and gets the running back who picks up immediate pressure inside first from that A-gap because you work inside out, and then now you have no outside help off of a player like an Emmanuel Ogba in that one-on-one situation. So Jerome Baker did so much to help this defense thrive in so many ways. He got his 100 tackles again on far fewer snaps this year, a dip about 150 snaps for Jerome Baker. He showed the speed, the sideline to sideline ability, but man, his pass rush value, getting that production in the third year for a third round player, big time kudos there. Kudos indeed. Let's stay on defense and get into that second level, Eric Rowe. See, it's not just first and second year players. Eric Rowe will tell you that he had to work on his run defense coming into his sixth year as a pro. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, six years a pro. He talked about it in camp. He talked about looking back as he reflected on the season. He wanted to get better fitting the run. Whether you look at the numbers or the film, there is a clear line of progression there. 91 combined tackles with just nine misses this year, according to Pro Football Reference. And just a quick look around the league. Let's go ahead and look at the all-pro safeties, for instance. The first team all-pros. Player number one, 79 tackles, 11 misses. Second player, 118 tackles, 13 misses. Third player, 62 tackles and 8 misses. How about the second team all-pro list? 109 tackles and 16 misses for player number 1. The second second team all-pro safety, 83 tackles and 9 misses. So Eric Rowe's missed tackle rate of just 9% was lower than all five of the all-pros there. And while we're here, 46 and 6 for Bobby McCain is in the same territory of the all-pros with the... 88% tackle rate when it comes to sure tackling. But back to Eric Rowe, he was also a monster in coverage this season for the second straight year at the new position. He talked about this as well, that if he wants to be considered the best, he has to do better against the best, like Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. But as I mentioned in one of the takeaways after that Raiders game, I'm just not so sure there's a matchup that you can really count on on the defensive side of things. The way the game is now, the way these two tight ends are built in Kelsey and Waller, these guys were uncoverable all season long. I mean, Kelsey had damn near led the league in receiving as a tight end, and Darren Waller was only 200 yards off that pace. Just both unreal players. But how about Rowe and coverage for the other 14 games? Six games this year, he had a 50% or lower completion percentage on passes targeted for his direction. That's per pro football focus. You take away the KC and Las Vegas games, he allowed 277 receiving yards on 58 targets in 14 games. That's 4.78 yards per target. That's really, really good. If you're below seven, you're good. So he's below five in that mark without, of course, without Kelsey and Waller. We saw him in a great position throughout the course of the season, even against Kelsey and Waller in the Chiefs and Raiders games. We saw him drive on passes and get breakups. We saw him pick two passes off this year. He was tied for second in the league in combined pass breakups and interceptions, 11 of those behind only Jesse Bates of the Bengals. We saw big-time strides and development for a player now heading into his seventh year of his career. That's what you love to see here in the roster-building aspect of this. And how about finishing up with the defense with the front? 
And we start with Zach Sealer, who was top 10 in pro football focused run stops among interior defensive linemen. With 32, he was eighth to be exact there. He had 25 quarterback pressures. That was 38th per pro football focus. Not bad at all, especially when you consider the number 37 on that list, a damn good player, Linval Joseph, who he had one more pressure than Zach. Zach played a smidge under 200 snaps less than uh, Linval Joseph did. Joseph had 726 to Sealer's 532 this season. He was consistently showing you the sheer power that he plays with. He's kind of an enigma in the terms of the size and testing metrics like his broad jump, his shuttle, things that display lower half explosion, and boy, does he have that in spades. I thought we saw all season long that he would strike, locate, disengage, get involved in the running game. He would split double teams, hold the point in the running game. He rushed from every position from the nose tackle out to the five technique. Your nose tackle lined up head up over the center, your five technique out over the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. Just another acorn that you consider came over as a waiver wire claim, and you do that consistently here with players, you can maintain a roster full of production and depth and sustain that success like Stephen Ross mentioned back in his press conference in the beginning of 2019. And from a waiver claim to a first-round draft pick on that same defensive line, how about Christian Wilkins? He talked about getting into the best shape of his football life this offseason. Thought that showed up in a big way. Played so many dang snaps on this defensive line. He finished 6th in ESPN's run-stop win rate among interior defensive linemen at 42%. He was 11th in the NFL at IDL, interior defensive linemen, on pro football focus with his 30 run-stops. And coming out of Clemson, we knew about the bend, the athletic ability, the quick first step. We saw how well he can bend based on upon the splits he did after they won the national championship game. But you knew about the athleticism, the bend, and the first quick the quick first step. But I think that in his two years with the Dolphins, he's really shown a penchant for holding up again against power, like Zach Sealer, standing his ground, throwing that one leg and just kind of putting it into the ground, holding the point, and creating opportunities for guys around him, absorbing double teams, and making plays for the linebackers happen. Really, really, really excited to see what Christian Wilkins looks like in year three. And Raekwon Davis could be considered here as well because he had a big jump in the second half of the season, but we're going to save him for a later portion of this podcast, just as we will for the offensive line in its entirety. I mentioned Mike Gesicki earlier, career highs across the board, played through that nagging shoulder injury at the end of the season, really showed his toughness, and the production from Mike really took off in December or so of 2019, late November, when he just kind of took off with the yards and the touchdowns, his ability to play multiple positions, to go out wide, to flex in line, to play the slot position was just an awesome revelation. Some of the vertical skills we saw he added this year with a 70-yard reception against the 49ers getting up over the top, running down the seam and splitting those two high safety looks with contested catches, one-handed catches, touchdown catches in that area of the field. I thought he showed a willingness and overall effectiveness on the rare occasions that he was asked to stay in and block. His releases on routes have become, just kind of like Josh Sweat and that pass rush breakdown, have become more multiple. He has more tools in the tool belt. He talked about this postgame, how he wants, after the Jets game, how he wants to alter his releases and give defensive backs different looks, how he wants to play with more power like he did on that touchdown in the Jets game, where he knew, he mentioned, I think it was 32, it was uh, Ashton Davis for the Jets, the rookie, who was an undersized safety compared to Mike's, you know, his build, and how the only hope he was going to have was to get hands on him and to reroute, and Mike just powered through the reroute, helped him dictate the route like he did. He got on top of it and scored a touchdown. You just see that growth in his game in year number three. Mike has come so far this year and his career. Man, I can't wait to see what he looks like in year number four because the way this guy works and the way he's grown through the course of his career, it's super impressive and super encouraging. And staying on the offensive side of the football, we go back to the running back position. 
And Miles Gaskin, now, I thought we saw the same thing that made him a 1,200-yard rusher every single year at UW. I thought we saw that this season, but maybe not as much last year as a rookie as he was kind of figuring out the ropes of his rookie season, seventh-round draft pick. His decisive running, the constant change of angles on tacklers, or potential tacklers, I should say. The patience, but quickness to find the gap and to press a defender into a decision with a two-way go where he's kind of stacked behind, you know, an engaged block, an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, and then it's Gaskin behind those blockers and the linebacker behind the defender on the other side. You kind of press that hole and force him into a decision. He consistently forced those linebackers into which way is he going to go because he would press for so long and then make that quick change of direction and get himself into the proper gap with a head of steam and falling forward and getting those extra two or three yards after the initial tackle and the patience to find that gap with the quickness to get through it, to press the defender into those tough spots. I thought he just read the flow of the blocking scheme so well all year and made plays both in the running game. And how about the passing game production? I mean, this guy finished with 97.2 yards from from scrimmage per game, which among players with five games played was 10th best in the National Football League. Big time production there from your 2019 seventh round draft pick. The coaches talked about his improvement this season, which came as no surprise to those around him. I talked about the Tuesday walkbys where I would see guys getting extra work at the facility when I would walk back to the podcast studio and they were mile or miles, yards and yards away on the practice field. Miles was always among those guys. Jerome Baker talked about it, how it doesn't surprise anybody that's been around this guy for the last two years to see him have this production, to see the way he works, because that's how we've known him as a worker and the, the just the work he puts into the game and the perfection of the craft. And how about finishing here at the quarterback position with Tua Tungavailoa? I can't even imagine the difficulties of playing the quarterback position as a rookie in this strange season. And as Chris Greer mentioned of the job that Flores and staff did with no live offseason program, getting someone up to speed at that position, coming off a serious injury where he was rehabbing and working on the physical side of things throughout the course of the offseason. For me, when it comes to rookie quarterback, and I've talked about this before, what I want to see are the flashes we saw in college and the incremental growth. Two things I think we saw in spades with Tua. I think we saw him do a great job of getting the offense into the right looks with those big rushing performances down the stretch of the season and playing within the scheme and the plan and managing the football game and knowing what your defense and special teams are doing, knowing where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and the tr- the same is true of the defense where you can attack. I thought we saw him play smart football throughout the course of the season. I thought we saw a tremendous anticipation, throwing the football to a spot, working around the lever of the defense really all year long. You go back to that second start in Arizona, some of those over routes where he would peel out on a bootleg and there was one where he found Mike Gesicki coming across the field with a linebacker underneath and trail technique and I referenced JT O'Sullivan who does a great job on his YouTube breakdowns of, of breaking down quarterback play, former quarterback in the NFL himself. He talked about how Gesicki on that play was covered, but because the defender's head is turned and not facing the quarterback, he can then only defend the width of his shoulders. So Tua locates it high and away into a contested catch area, but big enough or a spot where his big guy can go up and make a play like Mike did on that particular play. How about the late game prowess? The Cardinals game, 93-yard touchdown drive, trailing by seven in the fourth quarter with a third down scramble play, no less, to extend the drive. A third nine conversion to Devontae Parker before Devontae's even coming out of his, off the stem of his route to throttle down on that curl route and make a catch, Tua's throwing the football before all that occurs out of his own end zone. How about engineering comebacks against the Bengals and Patriots and nearly the Chiefs that gave him a chance late in that game? 
I thought we saw him manage the pocket, change, rush, launch points, and attack the line of scrimmage with a mind towards throwing the football down the field and really being aggressive that way. The quick twitch to stifle free runners, to throw right in behind blitzers, the work off the RPO game to help the running game get those 250 yards and 180-yard performances down the stretch. Thought Tua played a big factor in those. Of course, there were some peaks and valleys just like with all rookies and really with all quarterbacks, but man, I thought I, I just love seeing the stuff that I saw from this kid. In year one after the injury, I sure do like that. And I think the way he works a full offseason in the system, whatever the system might be, and throwing to his guys all offseason long, I think you have to feel really good about his growth and where he is heading into his age 23 season, his second year in the National Football League. And I published a piece up on MiamiDolphins.com taking a look at some possible making the leap candidates for next season like we saw with Van Ginkle or with Gaskin or with Zach Sealer, Christian Wilkins, the guys that we talked about coming into year two and year three and how this rookie class is basically full of guys like that. And looking at the offensive line that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like Austin Jackson, for instance, is on this list. The third youngest player in the NFL started 13 games for the Dolphins this season at left tackle. Over his final six games, according to PFF, he surrendered just two quarterback hits and one sack and committed only one foul. And you pair that with the fact that coming out of college, this guy had elite scores and speed, explosivity, the ideal traits really for dealing with pass rushers coming off the offense's left side. He also displayed a penchant for playing through the whistle with the requisite physicality to compete on the on the line in the NFL. He talked about how he learned a lot this year. The second year, he thinks you kind of handle more. So I would say I would expect to get a lot better next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. So a growth mindset there for Austin Jackson. He's one of my top candidates for a big leap next season. On the offensive line, I thought Robert Hunt down the stretch played as good a ball as anybody. Got stronger as the year went along. Six of his eight best PFF game grades occurred over those final six weeks. Allowed just two quarterback pressures per game during that stretch. His run blocking marks, though, were among PFF's best at the position, regardless of rookie or right tackle, with three individual games over 80, which would rank top 10 among all tackles pro-rated for a full season. And his biggest, the Dolphins' biggest run this season, a 31-yard run by Savon Ahmed. He was there to make two crucial blocks off the outside on that particular play. So he's my second pick there. And my third here is Raekwon Davis, defensive tackle, who landed on Pro Football Focus's all-rookie team by making major strides in the second half of the season. Of his 14 quarterback pressures, 10 of them occurred over the final seven games of the season, and he received a big bump in playing time beginning back in Week 8 against the Rams, where he surpassed his previous season high in snaps played, which was 27 at the time, to play 50 reps in that win. He made 20 run stops on the year, 18 of them coming after that Week 8 game or later on in the season. And you just look at this entire Dolphins draft class from last year, talking about Raekwon Davis, Austin Jackson, and Robert Hunt, and Tua Tungavailoa. You go down to Lynn Bowden, you talk about Brandon Jones, and Solomon Kinley, and Malcolm Perry, and Jason Strobridge, and Blake Ferguson, the long snapper here as well. All these guys had these testing metrics that really stood out among their position groups. They have these athletic traits. You get these athletes in here, you coach them up the way you want them to play, and you get results like you got with Raekwon Davis, like you got with Solomon Kinley, who just had a really solid year all year long at both right guard and left guard. 17 pressures allowed on 448 pass blocking reps. His 96.2 pass block win rate was fourth highest among rookie interior offensive linemen this year in the NFL. So plenty to choose from there. 
You have to love where the progressive growth can be from this season to next year and beyond the way this team kind of gets these guys in here, coaches them up, gets them playing Miami Dolphins football. We saw the results of that this season. Hopefully in year three under Flores, it's even another step from there. So go ahead and check out the article there on MiamiDolphins.com. Let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast by talking about the playoffs, playoffs that occurred over the course of the weekend. Just a few notes here for myself. And, you know, Coach Flo talked about this throughout the course of the season. Five or six plays a game that really can swing the the difference between a win and a loss. And that was my biggest takeaway, especially in that Buffalo Indy game where I thought the Colts outplayed Buffalo pretty much for 60 minutes. But then you just got Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs making enough plays for that team in that game to find victory to get to the next round. And that was just a difference in that game to me. The playmakers on Buffalo compared to Indy and Buffalo's playmakers coming to play bigger in those big spots. How about the fact that the 2-7 games, not all that bad? Yeah, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely here for the triple header. First real chance this season to watch a full slate of football back-to-back days because on my bye weeks, you know, I was coming back home to see see my wife and my, my daughter and just not there really a chance to, to watch on Sundays. This is my first chance all year long to just sit down and watch football and, and be on the couch for six hours in a row, whatever it was. And yeah, Saints and Bears was kind of a snoozer especially in the second half, but you at least got, you get at least one of those every single playoffs. I mean, how many years was the divisional round in Foxborough, some team that squeaked out of the wild card round to go up there to get beat 38-13? I mean, it happened every single year, but I thought Bills and Colts was the best game of the weekend. So go 2-7 game. Besides maybe Titans-Ravens, and that was a fantastic game to watch. I love those physical defensive battles and the logo stomping at the end. And not sure I love that, but I do love the rivalry element and kind of having a chip against your opposition on the other side. Give me all of that in 2020 and beyond. Speaking of defensive games, I am a sucker for the 2017, the 24-20 type of game. Those Ravens-Steelers mid to late 2000s games we saw every single year in the postseason where every possession feels important. You don't have that feeling of, ah, this is a 10-point lead. It's not going to be safe because they're going to just score two quick touchdowns. Every element of the game is important in those tight, low-scoring affairs. That's my brand of football. That's how I grew up watching football, so give me some more of that. And like the Rams, I was happy to see them overcome all of that was really stacked against them in this game with a quarterback situation and Sean McVay finding a way to win with all that stacked up against him and they lose Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup in the game as well and still find a way to win. And how about the work of defensive coordinator over there, Brandon Staley? He's just terrific. There's a great article of him up on The Athletic with his kind of revisioned defensive schemes in the NFL. Fun stuff to read there. And finally... Speaking of good for them, good for the Cleveland Browns, man. Speaking of stuff being stacked against them, to win that game without their head coach, down a key guard in Joel Batonio, and their best cover corner in Denzel Ward. Not to mention a friend of mine in the industry, one of the first people that I actually really had talked to me when I was even more of a nobody than I am now, Mark Sessler of NFL.com, the Around the NFL podcast, to see his Browns get his first win, their first playoff win, I should say, since 1995. Really, really cool stuff there. So fun weekend of football. I'm excited for this weekend as well. National championship games in the books as well. So we've got plenty here to talk about on the podcast now and coming up in the future. Let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. As I'll remind you all to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. And until next time, fins up.